Welcome back to the Marketing with the Finance Twist podcast. I'm your host, Dana, and today we have with us Rebecca Shostak, who is the co-founder of Flowdesk, an email marketing platform. In this episode, you'll learn how Rebecca and her co-founders grew a million-dollar online business and uncover how their customers are able to grow and monetize their email list. So without further ado, let's get started. Rebecca, thank you so much for joining me today. How are you doing? I'm great, and I am so excited to talk to you about all the things. So uh, can you let our listeners know where you're where are you joining in from today? Um, I'm located in the San Francisco Bay Area. Um, so as many people know, it's Silicon Valley. Um, but I was born and raised here. So um, yeah, I live in a little town called Los Gatos, which fun fact is the headquarters of Netflix. Um, and before that, we were living in San Francisco, which where which is where Flowdesk was founded. Definitely, you're in a great hub to be in for tech. Yes. Um <laughs> You can't. So, you, you really can't walk down to the local Starbucks without hearing someone practicing their pitch deck. <laughs> oh my gosh, I can only imagine. So then, I guess that leads me to um, Flowdesk. Then, can you explain to our listeners what is Flowdesk and um, how did it get started? Absolutely. So Flowdesk, in a nutshell, is beautiful, simple email marketing and now e-commerce. We just released checkout uh, last year, so we've expanded our offerings. Um, and how we got started? Wow. Well, um, that's a quite a juicy question, but uh, it got started on a napkin. You know, a lot, um, a, a lot like a lot of other small businesses, um, got started with a dream and an idea many years ago. I used to have a template shop um, in uh, in my former life where I created a lot of templates for the small business entrepreneur and specifically the wedding photographer, and. These templates were for Photoshop, for your branding, for your sales, um, putting your, um, you know, marketing price lists, uh, like boudoir album templates. And I got a lot of requests for making email templates. And now this was back in around 2012. And every time I would release an email template, it had to be for MailChimp, right? Because there wasn't really a service where you could just build a cool looking email that matched your brand. Um, and shoot it out in one. You had to create the graphics in one program and then port them into something like MailChimp or MadMimi, um, what have you. So uh, I created a lot of templates to allow people to take my pre-written copy and images that they could edit and then put them into their into MailChimp. Um, and almost every time, it was like a bestseller, got a lot of people buying them, but almost every time people bought them, I would get an angry inbox the next day saying, hey, I feel deceived. You promised a beautiful email, but this is so hard to implement in MailChimp that I want my money back. And, you know, we're talking about 10 years ago. And I, at that point, it kind of put the idea in my mind that maybe someone should do something about this. But the years went by 2012, 2014, 2017, um, and nobody was doing anything about it. You know, that there were um, other email marketing players that came on the market, but none of them were focused on design and simplicity of use. And so when 2017 rolled around and um, my now husband and I were living in San Francisco together, tech was just in the air. It was like, you could just reach out and grab an idea and get funding. Um, if you went in that direction, we didn't, but we can talk about that later. But uh, it was everywhere, right? And I, I said here, you can't walk into a Starbucks without hearing a pitch. Well, uh, then it was like, you couldn't walk down the street without hearing 10 pitches, right? Uh, people were, it was just in the air. It was kind of magical and also crazy at the same time. And uh, that sort of um, that magical dust uh, marinating in that that uh, environment sort of motivated me, I think, to get off 
my butt and actually do something about it finally. And, um, and during that time, I was also uh, meeting Martha um, through a different through the Rising Tide Society through a different network. And she and I um, got together and started refining the sketches. And that's sort of how it came to be. And then from there, we built the company um, really from scratch, from the ground up. And my CTO, Trong, who's also a co-founder in Vietnam, came on. And the three of us worked on it day and night for years before our launch in 2019. Um, and then the rest is kind of history and we can dive into that. But that's sort of the the founding story. It's sort of like we, you know, we saw a problem. Martha saw the same thing when she was working at HoneyBook that a lot of people were struggling with email in the creative industry. And uh, it was our calling. We had to do something about it. Yeah. So like just for the listeners, I use Flowdesk and it's really simple to use. And one of the things I love about the platform is that you already have like built-in flows. So like welcome sequences and sales sequences. So it's it's very user-friendly. That's one thing I like about your platform. It's not like complicated, like a lot of the other email marketing platform. Oh, I, I really appreciate you saying that. And um, when we were in that period of development um, between 2017 and 2019, before we launched, um, Martha and I were meeting with, uh, our target members nonstop. Like, and these were a lot of creatives that we knew in our network in San Francisco who had, um, they had like, food bloggers and photographers and like really amazing, like, uh, the influencers, you know, fashion, fashion bloggers, really amazing creatives. They had so much to give the world. And it sort of blew our minds that the most, uh, capable creatives who had these incredible brands and everything they touched turned to gold were struggling with email. Like it was kind of ridiculous. They were so savvy. And yet this one part of their tech stack was not working well for them. Um, and so we met with them one-on-one -on -one to really interview them about their pain points and get inside of their minds on what their ideal email marketing platform would look like. And Flowdesk is the product of that. So in a sense, I feel like Sometimes I feel like we can't even really fully take credit for designing it because it was designed by our members and we were sort of just like the paintbrush, but they were the hand that was moving. So I guess like before then, before starting Flowdesk, like were you always an entrepreneur? Um, like what was your background, like your schooling and did you go to school for, for um, information technology? How did you fall into this or walk into this? <laughs> <laughs> I was more like a... Uh, volunteered myself into this. Um, <laughs> no, uh, I I was born into Silicon Valley. Um, my dad was also um, he, he's a very talented programmer, um, and he actually uh, created the mathematics behind blockchain uh, for Bitcoin. Uh, and I mean, he wasn't involved in Bitcoin, but he was involved in the technology, the the predecessor. And um, I just was marinated in this environment. So it's sort of a part of me. And I'd always wanted to be an entrepreneur my whole life. I saw my dad start multiple startups and I really wanted to be like that. Um, so it's always sort of been a part of my essence. And ever since I could remember, even when I was five years old, I was trying to start something. So not necessarily a company, but I always, I kind of had that fire. Um, I went to school at UCLA. I studied both design and English because I think it's really important to be able to um, have like a visual eye and a visual expression paired with really excellent communication that comes from the English side. So I was interested in the intersection of those two things. Um, and then my first job out of college was getting uh, working at a company that did the merch for Rihanna and Linkin Park and Sheryl Crow. Um, and they hired me because 
I was the only female designer on the team and they needed a female eye to help with the more feminine brands for the merch. And so it was kind of amazing sometimes to walk into Hot Topic. This was in Los Angeles. I would walk into Hot Topic and my t-shirts would be all over the wall. And I would go up to the clerk and I'd be like, I'd like to buy one of my designs, please. And they were like, uh, what are you talking about? And I'm like, those, I designed those. And they were like, no, you didn't. And I was like, oh, yes, I did. <laughs> so it was that was a really cool experience. And it taught me a lot about how to design for different brands and to really put the, uh, the customer or the client first. Um, a lot of designers, I think, struggle with that sometimes. And it's a balance, right? Because if you're creative, you have this artistic spirit and you want to express yourself. But being a designer is also about uh, creating something that functions well for the person that you're creating it for. And so I got a lot of experience um, for, for designing for different styles and brands in that work. And But, you know, sitting behind a desk nine to five uh, was not for me. So, of course, uh, my next step was to start my own company. And that's when I got into the template business. Um, and I, I and wedding photography at that time, like around 2008, was a really close-knit set of, um, like it was really close-knit community and the group of people kind of hung out in this one place called the Digital Wedding Forum. So it was actually quite easy to penetrate the space. And this is a long time ago before Facebook and social media. And so um, with just some advertisements and starting out, I was able to launch my template company um, directly to the wedding photography industry. And it was a sorely needed product. So that took off. Um, and that sort of set me on this course of being like a template expert and my obsession, my life, my passion, my career is all about templates. And in a way, Flowdesk is really a template company, um, that has very useful applications. Love that. That's so true. Like the email templates are really so pretty and like, it's very easy the way you've done it, it's very easy to switch in your brand colors and images without having to like do HTML coding. So it's it's the way you and Martha, because I was doing a lot of research, <laughs> it's like you guys are a good balance um, as long, even with your CTO as well. Um, the fact that like you're the design brain, Martha's the CEO operations kind of side. Is that She's a brilliant kind of yeah. yeah, I think she's, uh, well, they say in Silicon Valley um, that you need a hacker, a hipster and a hustler, right? It's kind of a joke, <laughs> but it's also kind of true. So uh, Martha for sure is the hustler. She's got a background <laughs> in sales and she's the one of the most ferocious yet compassionate and brilliant people people I've ever met. Um, she's wonderful with people. She she just has a magic about her that make people want to be interested in what she's doing and what she's selling. And she's a great leader for the company. Um, Trong is all, all tech, right? He's our, our tech head and he's also um, a brilliant uh, CTO in his own right. He's gotten the company a couple of patents. Um, he's always coming up with new technological solutions to support our business ideas. Amazing. And I kind of and I kind of bring that creative energy to the whole operation. So the three of us really work together to to make this one whole. I and I I think some companies, you know, they have different emphasis. Like ours is really design and brand first, like we are a brand first company. Um, and others are tech first, like Zoom. Zoom's a great example of a company that invests really hard in their R&D for their technology. Um, and so we're sort of a balance. We have like a great business vision, but we also have that creative side, which gets breathed into everything we do. And then we have the technology to support the vision. Amazing. I love that. It's the dynamic trio. Um, so when Flodex came on the scene, like you're in a really like big market, saturated market, you could say. 
with some big players that I won't mention. So like, how did you guys stand out? Because, you know, certain um, players have like millions of users. So when you first started, how did you plan on like capturing that market share? Well, I think um, when we launched, I feel like it wasn't us that launched the company. Our members mm-hmm. launched it for us. We were having so many interviews with uh, our target market that we knew at that at the point where we were almost ready to launch that our product did fit a certain sector of the market like a glove. But we didn't mm-hmm. know how big that sector was going to be. It was it was a it was a solopreneur, you know, like the, the your wedding photographer, your event planner, or food blogger. Um, and I can, I can, I'm thinking of all of the the wonderful people that we met with uh, along our journey to get us here. And they started sending out emails uh, from the platform before we our actual official launch date, which was a campaign that Martha planned that was called um, Up Your Email Game. It was a challenge to uh, get the the creative entrepreneur to start their uh, email their email list uh, with us as we launched the company. Um, but before that, we had a little viral footer at the bottom of our emails that said made in love with Flowdesk. And so our very, very early members had that on. And some of them we actually worked with to make it a little bit bigger. And they just started sending the emails to the audience. And people were so kind of taken aback by how beautiful and simple the emails were, and especially how they translated from desktop to mobile, that they got really curious and started clicking on that footer and the trials started coming in and then they started sending emails to their list and it sort of exploded. And uh, when I think about the the launch week, it was, it, it, I mean, it, it, we had like a pre-launch, like August 12th, 2019 was supposed to be our official launch. But several weeks before that, um, the, our, our friends and influencers who were sort of working side by side with us started sending out these emails. And we started seeing in our trials channel in Slack going from three trials a day, all of a sudden to 50 in one hour. And then the next day it was like all over Instagram, check out Flowdesk. This is amazing. And then the next, the day after that, all, people started posting all of these YouTube tutorials and it was, it just took off like wildfire. And of course that posed challenges in itself to grow that quickly when you're not quite, quite ready for it. But I think, um, you know, the brand first aspect, the beautiful designs caught people's eye. Um, the very simple interface was something that people just didn't associate with email in the past. So I'd say it was kind of sensational to the market. Like they just weren't, they they weren't accustomed to having a software that really under, like that they could see them, you know? And I think that came through and, and they were really excited to, um, to talk about it. So I don't know if I can really say that we launched our company. I would say that it was our members that that really that pushed it along. That's great because it's like some people feel that they can't launch a business because there's so many people, so many companies out in the market. But like your company is standing testament to the fact that just because, you know, there might already be big players doesn't mean that there isn't room for new players to come in. So it's like that's amazing, uh, amazing, an amazing start you had with Flowdesk. Yeah, I guess to to expand on the original question, um, they say that uh, in a huge market like email marketing, I mean it's it's a giant market. There's always room for new players because there's room. There's so many people out there who need this service that there's it's okay to specialize in something. And you can still have build a billion dollar company even if you're specializing in something. And we're specializing in uh, in in design and simplicity of use. So, um, they, and also the truth is that MailChimp is going up market right now. And that was 
kind of the go-to for a lot of company or for a lot of small businesses. Mm-hmm. Um, and their prices are changing and their services are changing and they're an amazing company, but they are going more towards the enterprise. And so it's leaving this section of the market kind of uh, ready to, to uh, have someone else swoop in and, and capture them. I like that. So, so you guys have a lot of growth there to expand and capture that audience. I think um, so. So in terms of email marketing, uh, email marketing is up for, is is up to 40 times more effective than social media and more cost effective than most other marketing channels. So what are some of the things you're seeing that your most successful customers have done to grow and monetize their email? Yeah, so... You know, I I'm thinking about what it means for to be a, a, one of our most successful customers. And for me, we do have a lot of um, people on the platform who have a really large influence and audience. But I, the thing that really excites me the most is when I see people come in on the ground level uh, with a list of maybe zero to fifty, and then a few months later, they're emailing us saying that Flowdesk helped them build their list all the way to five, ten thousand subscribers or more. It's absolutely incredible, and I. I think what's helping them to do that is just the simplicity of of the platform. I mean, they are brilliant creatives. They know how to serve their audience wonderful content that people want to opt into. We're just here to help to kind of guide them along in that process. And the simplicity, um, the fact that our products match their brand all help with conversion. But um, really, I'm blown away by the savviness of our members and their ability to come in sort of at a really base level and then transform their email marketing into like the the most revenue generating part of their business. So with that then what would you say are kind of like the top two ways to grow an email list or that you found that like your founders have grown their email list? Yeah. So um the I, I guess uh, a little bit of an obvious one, but making sure that your forms are installed everywhere. And I mean everywhere. Mm-hmm. So if you have a link in bio or you're trying to um, capture leads off of your social media, which I highly recommend, um, then making sure that there's a link to a form or some, a lot of our members actually link to one of our full page forms. So there's a direct link from their Instagram to the form. Um, and the other thing is just thinking strategically about what you want to offer to get people to come into that form. And so I like to say that email addresses these days are like currency, right? There's a lot of discussion around privacy and um, people are, are hesitant to donate their data to just anyone. So email addresses, uh, some marketing experts say can be worth up to $20, $40. I mean, you, the, or, I, it could be worth thousands, right? Like that one lead could buy a service from you that's $10,000. You never know. So they're very valuable. Um, and because they're valuable, you have to think about them in terms of value. So you need to give value in order for people to want to give you their value. So it's kind of like a currency. And uh, using freebies or some kind of a downloadable or a giveaway or like a masterclass um, are extremely effective ways to grow your list quickly. And a lot of um, we get a lot of members asking us, so what should I give away? I don't know what to do. I don't know how to build out this whole course and I don't have time. And well, it doesn't have to be that difficult. Right. So say, you know, that your audience asks you uh, a, a question over and over. Right. Like you're you're an expert in food blogging and they're like, well, how do I make the best salsa recipe or like, like how do I make a, a perfect salsa? And then, well, if you're a lot of people are asking you about uh, the best salsa to make, then put it into a recipe, uh, even as a simple PDF, and then put it behind a form as a freebie download and send them to the form and deliver it as a Word document. It doesn't even need to be complicated. But 
giving them something of value that's really exciting is a sure way to grow your list quickly. So you hear that, guys? I hope you're writing it down. (laughs) Get your freebie out there. No excuses. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Especially for us perfectionists out there. Just get it out there. Set up your form and flow desk. Attach it to a PDF, even a Google Doc. And you're good to go. Start collecting those to start collecting those emails. Yes. So we're going to go back in time a bit. So when it came to um, building Flowdesk, building an innovative email marketing platform requires a considerable amount of investment. So how did you go about funding the business? And is there anything you would do differently looking back? Ooh, all right. Uh, we're getting personal here, huh? Okay. <laughs> Um, so we we uh, I, uh, we bootstrapped, which means that we did not take VC funding. Um, fun fact: we were rejected by Y Combinator, which is uh, it, it's it's kind of it's funny to look back on. Um, we did go through startup school. Y Combinator had a, a sort of a pre incubator, and we got a grant from them um, of ten thousand dollars, which into which went into like our first company coffer. And uh, we're very grateful for that and for the experience. It was amazing to be a, a part of their ecosystem, even if we weren't in their traditional um, incubator. Um, and so that sort of kicked us off. And Martha and Trong and I just uh, built it out of our own pockets, right? Like we paid for engineering for two years out of our own pockets. Uh, we each put in $30,000 and we, you know, it was like a hope and a prayer and a ton of work. And we hoped that it would work and it worked out. It was, I'd say, the best investment I ever made. (laughs) (laughs) For sure. For sure. And like, I just want to kind of like point out to people, because I know some people struggle with working nine to five and starting their business. And it's like, some of you who want to start a business, start looking at your nine to five as an investor. Like the money you're making from that job can help fund your passion project or your passion startup. So I love the fact that like, you know, you guys bootstrapped it got scrappy and use your own resources to build the company first. Um, yes. Like we, for sure. Like we all had full-time jobs. Um, we were all super busy, um, but it was, it was like a priority for us to work on it as soon as we were finished with work every day in the evenings. And that really paid off. And I really recommend for any entrepreneur to, if you have a feeling that you you're sitting on that idea, like everybody is capable of that idea. And you know, it's that idea. Like you just feel it in your spirit and like, don't be afraid to invest in yourself. Like taking on investors is the right choice for some businesses, but it doesn't have to be. And it also doesn't have to be the default route for startups. So you're asking if I would do anything differently looking back. I actually, I feel like uh, as far as the way that we structure things in investment and bootstrapping, I wouldn't change a thing. It was the best investment we ever made, but I think if I were to go back in time and tell myself a few things, I I would say that we didn't get started um, involving our target members soon enough. So we were sort of sketching and debating amongst ourselves the best UX UI for different um, features and trying to guess sort of what people would want instead of just getting in there and getting started uh, creating directly with our members. And so actually the first product, like uh, Flowdesk's first prototype was um, Martha and myself sitting down with uh, one of uh, Food Lala, one of our uh, friends who's a food blogger and designing the her dream emails in Photoshop and then porting them over to this prototype Trong and his team had made 
putting those images and text into that email and sending it off, hoping that the email would actually go out to all the recipients. And it did. And so it was this manual process that we perfected before we really touched a line of code in the platform that you see today. And that is one of the biggest pieces of advice I would give anyone trying to start a company, no matter if you're making soap or you want to start a, a big tech startup, you want to get into AI, make sure you're solving a real problem and, and do that early. And, you know, it took, it took us quite a while to real, come to the realization that we should be doing that. And it was thanks actually to the Y Combinator startup school that encouraged us to do that. And then, um, and then get into the trenches with your target customer and make sure you're solving a real problem. And if, if you have product market fit, but before you even start building your product, I can tell you, you're probably going to be successful. So just to segue to the next question, then, because this is a popular one I tend to get um, from people when I'm doing consults, is that like many entrepreneurs often limit their business growth because they're scared to take on more expenses, including like hiring their staff, mm-hmm. investing in like capital infrastructure. And as well, like we all know, building a SaaS company, it's not cheap. So since Flowdesk took the bootstrapping approach, how did you manage cash flow and ensure you're able to invest in tech and people um, and the people that you needed to grow the business? Well, I we I have to say we were very, very careful at first. We were very scrappy and very lean. And I think because we had um, so much momentum from that process that I was sharing earlier about almost having a product market fit before building code, we were able to take to market something that was already fitted to our target audience. So I think a lot of times when companies launch, they spend a lot of time and resources trying to find that product market fit before they can scale. But we already had that fit by the time that we launched the company or the company launched itself or our members launched the company for us. And so we were basically profitable after two weeks. And we've been very, very lucky with that. And I still remember... Um, two weeks after launch, uh, Martha was, um, you know, Martha, we would meet in the evenings because we still both had full-time jobs and Martha would be trying to answer our customer support box and we would have, she would have over 500 emails a day coming in. And she and I were biting our nails about whether we should hire, um, you know, a, a support help because we were scared about bringing, about growing the company when the cash flow was uncertain. You know, we we started seeing profits right when we launched and it seemed like things were on the up and up, but you never know and it's scary. And so I think, um, you know, it depends on the business. But again, if you feel like you have an idea that you want to bet on, bet on it, but bet on it smartly, right? Like don't just don't just spend a ton of resources trying to find the product market fit and then scale the business. If, you know, if you're able to find that, like try to find the product market fit early, really creating a prototype doesn't have to cost anything, right? Like it's just sitting with your members, sitting with your target customers, asking them questions about uh, the pain points that you're trying to solve and seeing if they would pay you for it, right? And I think that that can give you a general feel for how much market interest there is. But And if you know there's a lot of market interest, but you just need money in order to get to it, then by all means, like spend every dollar you have to go for it. But be careful that you're betting it on the the right, uh, you, you know, you're betting your resources on the right idea. Um, mm-hmm. So I, and I, I think too, though, at some point, you just sort of have to take a leap because Martha was the one who made the call to go ahead and take that support hire, um, who's now our head of 
member experience, Megan, and it was one of the best hires we ever made. Uh, and, and I was, I was fearful about it simply because I was worried about our cash flow. But if we didn't make that investment and that initial investment in people, we wouldn't have been able to grow it at all. Yeah. So that helped to, that helped you and Martha to focus on other areas of growing business while your new hire focused on customer service support tickets and supporting. Yeah. Yes. Which was critical. Yeah. I can only imagine 500 emails a day. Oh my gosh. It was, I mean, it was nuts. It was not, it was one of the most intense moments in my life that, that this, these three months from like August to November of 2019 and just having the numbers go whoop and all the, all the, the adrenaline rush and the cortisol levels and everything <laughs> to go with it. It was incredible. <laughs> so then, so speaking of cash flow then, just a segue to this next question. Um, so like in the launch phase, how did you determine your pricing and like your sales targets? Because that's one of the things like sometimes when people start a business, they don't really chart out, is something going to be profitable enough to sustain them? So how did you come up with the pricing to ensure that like the profit margin could sustain the business and grow it? In the yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I think... Um... Like so, our our uh, price that we settled on was thirty eight dollars a month, and during our beta period, we had a big push for fifty uh, percent off, um, and so it was it was somewhere between nineteen and thirty eight dollars a month, and we calculated that uh, partly based on models that Martha created because she's really great with business development, and also partly a little bit on gut because we knew this target market so well that we knew they're price sensitive and that uh, pricing was actually a huge pain point. And so, you know, we, when we came up with those numbers, it was sort of modeled out, but the core of our pricing and sort of the philosophy behind our pricing that you should never be punished for growing your list, Mm -hmm. uh, became a huge reason that so many people switched over to Flowdesk and almost became a competitive advantage. And we just heard so many members saying, I am scared of these platforms because the more my list grows, the more I have to pay. And it's like, like they, the the companies say that they're here to foster the growth of their members and yet they're financially punishing you if you achieve that growth. Um, so we wanted to, to make our pricing address that while still sort of ensuring that our costs were covered and that we could run a profitable business because it is important to be profitable. And I think a lot of women have a hard time saying that, right? That, they, yeah. that I want to have a lucrative, profitable business. Um, so we came up with a price point that worked with the models that worked with our members and that we felt kind of like it sounded good too, right? Like when you think about pricing, you want to choose numbers that have a ring to them. Like, and, and there's certain price levels at, e- at each tier, like $19, $99, $299 um, versus like $301 that just sort of, um, they resonate with people in a different way. So we wanted to pick like a resonant number that worked with our models. And that also like would support us being able to offer this like one price for all lists. Definitely. Cause a lot of the other email marketing platforms, like you said, they charge you the more subscribers you have. So for desk, your, st- your price is $38 with the coupon code that we're going to be offering our listeners. You actually get it at 50% off. So about $19, but a lot of other carriers are like, once you have past hundred or 200, you're paying even a hundred dollars, maybe a month for people on your email list. So I love the fact that, you know, with Flowdesk, as you grow, you're not being punished for that. You're still paying the same $19 or $38 um, once that promo is over. 
so, which is actually like really competitive because a lot of places, so a lot of the other competitors charge a lot more um, as you grow. So that's, yeah, and I just, I think that if you're a small business starting out and you know that you need to do marketing, but your passion and where you should really be focusing your time and energy is on the craft and serving your clients, you don't want to be stressing out about your bill going up because too many people came into your forms. Like you don't want to have to choose between success and being able to monetarily support your business. So that's, that's kind of our philosophy on it. Love that. That's that, that was a really smart decision. <laughs> <laughs> so then when it goes over to them, like the marketing side of things, like how did you find your first customers where you kind of alluded it to earlier? Um, but then like, how did you find them? And then how did you go about growing and improving sales month over month? Because I'm assuming that's probably changed even now, how you approach marketing compared to how when you first started. Um, can you kind of like walk us through that? Yeah, of course. Well, like I said, Martha and I were sort of immersed in the world of like the rising tide society. She was working at HoneyBook. And so we just had a lot of friends um, who were in the space already. And it was great because these we, we had a lot of creatives who were just like kind of in our phones and all, all around us. So we could just say like, hey, can we grab coffee? Can we buy you dinner? Will you sit down with us and give us your feedback? Can we make an email for you? Can we design a campaign that might move the needle for you in a different way? Um, so we had a lot of friends in our network who were willing to sit down with us and work with us and let us do a custom design for them. And when we launched the company, Martha was very insistent that we have our affiliate marketing up and running uh, on on the day of the launch. And uh, actually, I didn't have a lot of experience in marketing at that time for a tech company. So when she pushed for that, it was something that the extra the engineers had to do to make our launch goals. And I was like, this sounds cool, but I don't know about it. And our engineers are like, this sounds cool, but oh, it's a lot of work. Do we really need to add this in? And oh my goodness, it's it's been one of the biggest drivers of subscribers to us. And to this day, we get a huge amount of traffic just from word of mouth and people sharing their affiliate codes, which is awesome. Um, <clears throat> So for the listeners who don't know what affiliate marketing is, can you just kind of explain really quickly like what that is and how that was built into the email? Oh, absolutely. So um, in the email itself, there's a footer at the bottom that says made in love with Flowdesk that has a link. So if you click on that, then you'll get driven to the person who's sending that email's affiliate landing page. And that means that if you sign up for uh, a Flowdesk account, you can use their discount code. And then the person sending that email to you also gets the credit for your sign up and they get a referral um, a referral fee. So they actually make money when one of their audience members signs up. Um, so that's kind of what affiliate marketing is. It's like, it's incentivized word of mouth sharing. Exactly. And word of mouth is it's word of mouth on steroids, really, the way you guys implemented it. Um, and it's really clever because a lot of companies don't think to use affiliate marketing. So the fact that that was, you know, a big piece of your marketing strategy, like that's pretty forward thinking because a lot of companies don't think that way to go that route. They think maybe Facebook ads or like, you know, influencers. The fact they use affiliate marketing, that that was actually a really good play. <laughs> Yeah, and that's really all Martha. She had the idea and it was it was brilliant and it really worked for us. But like anything, if you want your affiliate marketing to work, you have to have a product that's worth 
talking about, right? So uh, we had that product and then we had members who were excited about their success on the platform and they wanted to go share that success with their network. So it was a really beautiful thing. And then as we evolved, of course, like we're, we have to think about different ways to expand our marketing channels. And like any business, we're always looking for new experiments to try um, new micro pockets of communities to um, tap into. And there's so many ways to do that. Um, in 2020, about six months after we launched, we decided to we decided to start experimenting with paid performance, which are like you said, the Facebook ads, Instagram ads, um, and Pinterest. But uh, in 2021, Apple changed privacy settings, which were actually which is great for the consumer, and it's something that uh, we're actually quite passionate about at Flowdesk. But it also made ch- completely change the landscape for paid ads. So it's much harder now to get the word out via paid than it was several years ago. Um, so there's also Google search now, um, YouTube, Pinterest, uh, working with affiliate partners. But and and these all help, right? But I think at our core, something that we discovered that's special is that a lot of companies, as you said. Uh, think about their marketing in terms of getting that one big influencer, right? That one with 10 million followers, and that's the one we're going to land, and that's going to be the big juggernaut that drives all our traffic. But what we found is it's actually all the small voices coming together to lift up that make the biggest difference. So we really want to empower um, the small business owners to be able to make passive income with their affiliate link. And it doesn't matter if you have 10 people in your email list or on Instagram, or you have 10 million. Uh, because if you have a very engaged audience, then you can reach them far better than if you have a huge following, but the people um, that follow you aren't listening what you, to what you have to say. So it's kind of power to the people. <laughs> yeah. My God, that was, I love that. Because I have a friend who's an affiliate marketer and she's always telling me different strategies they use and things like that. And that's, it drives a lot of revenue for the companies that she works with. So like when I, when I was doing research and I saw that you guys were doing that, I was like, Okay, I need to interview Flowdesk because oh, yes, because awesome. <laughs> that's a it will be a great thing for listeners to learn about for sure. Could you share what were the top two biggest challenges you have faced building Flowdesk from zero to twenty million plus in annual sales, yep. and how did you like overcome them? Because like I just do it a really big number, and <laughs> that's let me just add that's like. Hella impressive because we're in 2023, like the first quarter, and Lotus has been around since August 2019. So that's a huge accomplishment to you, ladies, and also, you know, to Trong as well, because that's a lot. <laughs> so I really it, it, I appreciate it, that. It, it represents an incredible, crazy journey. I feel like all of us could win an Oscar. Um, all of us who are business owners who have experienced <laughs> that kind of roller coaster ride could experience uh, could win an Oscar for all the uh, emotions <laughs> and and all the crazy um the crazy stories we have to tell about the that time period. So yeah, it's been wild. Um, definitely in that question, my two biggest challenges, two things come to mind. One is personal, and one is more business related. So, um, I'll share the business one first, and that is that. Uh, at every stage of the company, we've had to problem solve on the fly for problems nobody ever prepared us for. Nothing in my college or in my, you know, my my life experience prepared me for the things that we've had to go through. So at the very beginning, we were looking at server outages and database outages because we had more traffic than we can handle. I know it's champagne problems, but it's still a problem. 
Um, later on, as we grew, the word got out about us and a lot of, uh, and a, a lot of email marketing companies experienced this too, but we had a lot of, um, spam and bad actors trying to, um, spam from our platform. So we had to really quickly and nimbly develop new technology, um, that's that's actually groundbreaking. That that was Trong's team. Um, a lot of it to solve problems around there. Uh, and then from there, it's been like, okay, how do we um, increase our growth? And the pandemic hit, and how do we support our members through COVID? Um, so you know, pivoting a little bit, and we we turned our template library into a resource area for people to um, send messages of that for different business verticals that that, that they like you know, if a store had to temporarily close for COVID or a restaurant, um, they would find templates in there so that they could share with their audience that they were closed, but they would be reopening at X date or updates to their business. Um, and, and so that was a big pivot too, right? When I, or not a pivot, but um, a, a big, I would say like landmark moment for Flowdesk when uh, the pandemic hit, we just saw this huge surge in traffic because everyone bought, brought their business online. And every yeah. time you have traffic surges, you also have tech issues as well. Um, so uh, at every stage, we've had something happen um, and we've had to deal with it and we haven't been prepared for it by any formal education. So just being able to to problem solve and to, to grow and change with the product. It's almost sometimes like, I feel like the product is like a runaway horse and we're, and I'm tied to it with a rope and it's just like pulling me along. <laughs> and I'm like, I don't even know if I signed up for this, but I have to run along, right? Like I have to grow and change and adapt to the different um, challenges that we face. And then um, on a more personal level, uh, just getting super real here, I am a very anxious person um, and I've had a lot of, yeah, <laughs> but now you have to say for the listeners. <laughs> Yeah, hide behind the video. <laughs> well, like me too. <laughs> I think we're not to make that a podcast episode. How to manage being anxious an anxious entrepreneur. But yeah, yes. <laughs> I'm sorry, I digress. Yeah. No, no, no. But I, I, and I appreciate that. Now I, I feel more supported. <laughs> no, but I'm, I'm a very anxious person. Um, and and the ever since Flowdesk launched, I would say that my baseline anxiety has jumped up several notches. Right. Um. And and I uh, there have been points where I haven't slept for days, or there's been a problem that I felt like needed to be solved immediately. But and so I would rush to solve it. But actually, if I had just been able to sit with the discomfort that anxiety brings, I would be able to work through that problem in a more grounded way if I gave it time. Um, so I think a lot of that caused uh, friction with my co-founders and friction at first with early employees because I would have these feelings, right? And I would almost get taken over by them. And I wasn't able to express myself the way I wanted to. And all that people felt around me was my anxiety and not the communication I was trying to, to bring out. So um, that's been a big challenge to work on. Um, and I would say I'm definitely getting better at it, but it's going to be a lifelong journey. And um Sometimes it can even be a power that I can channel, right? Because you can turn anxiety into excitement or mm-hmm. wanting to stay up all night to solve an, a, an exciting problem. So um, that that for me is like, you know, kind of like Rebecca's big secret, but or not so much a secret anymore, but just a, it's a part of me that um, that I really had to work on, right? To be able to run along with that runaway Flowdesk course I was talking about and grow to become um, a leader. So it's like, are there any like resources or like any tips you have? Okay, but like this is really this is a question really for myself. <laughs> like that you used to kind of like help with that, or you found like or meditation or something that helps, yeah, 
Yes. Yes. So um, Martha, uh, a couple of years ago, brought in a business coach for us that she met who's been transformational. And he's really helped me through a lot of these um, sort of anxious moments in realizing that it's like, like a lot of times I think we think that the mind follows the body. Wait, no. Hold on. You have to edit that. But we think that the body follows the mind. So if we have discomfort from anxiety in our in our body, or we feel like we're almost trapped in inside this like prison of anxiety, that if we think enough, if we have the right thoughts and like try and change our our brain enough just by thinking, that the body will follow. And actually, my coach has shown me that at least for myself, it's the other way around. Where if I am able to lean into practices that help me sit with that discomfort, because anxiety is actually painful, like it's it's really uncomfortable in your body and move through it and know that it's, you know, it's it's part of my nature as a human being on this planet and to just allow it to go through my body and, and not fight it. Um, then my mind will follow. And my, and, and that's really like kind of the practice of being grounded. And it's something that I try to lean into more and more every day. And there's a lot of things, it's different for every person, right. And how to get to that state, but there's meditation. So I really, I do not start my day. I do not touch my phone unless I've done 10 minutes of meditation in the day. Um, I make sure I move my body at least once a day. So a walk or going to the gym. Um, and then I also make sure that I spend time away from my screens, which is incredibly difficult. Like, I swear, like I am more married to my tech sometimes than my husband. <laughs> it's like, I know. it's so hard to pry uh, my computer, and my phone away from me, but, um, it, it, the, these devices are amazing and they permit us to do so much that we weren't able to even five years ago, but at the same time, they can really trigger my anxiety as well. Just having something that's constantly pinging me. Yeah. So it's like everyone is going to have a different um, approach to this and everyone's going to have uh, different practices they can lean into to help sit through that discomfort and anxiety. But finding those things and then making those a part of your work, like actually a part of showing up as a business owner can be completely transformational, not only to yourself, but the people around you, which translates out to your customers as well. Definitely. So speaking about to the people around you, do you have tips for our listeners on how to hire and manage a diverse remote team, um, especially when it comes to like hiring customer service staff or like IT staff? Because um, that's another thing, you know, a lot of entrepreneurs sometimes don't want to take on, like they don't want to have to manage a team. They'd rather just be solo, even though in order to grow, you need to often take on more people to help you support the business growth. Yeah, um, I, you know, I would say the most important thing in managing a remote team is to really trust the people that you hire. I mean, mm-hmm. at an office, I, I don't have a lot of experience actually in an office environment. So for me, working remotely has been kind of the status quo now for almost 15 years. Mm-hmm. Um, and I work, I met Trong actually, uh, our CTO in 2012. So we've been working together 11 years remotely. And I feel like uh, for me, it sort of comes naturally because I'm a bit of an introvert. And if I were asked to sit in an office all day and give creative output and be at my best, I wouldn't be able to do it. So I think remote work is one of the best things that's happened in the past five years. And I encourage everyone to lean into it. But first of all, trust the people that you're hiring um, or else 
the or else like if you don't then you just come off as a crazy micromanager right because you're like pinging them through slack and trying to get them on zoom calls and it just it's so obvious um and it's it's not a great experience for um, the people who for your team members right um the other thing is that um is to be more of a flexible manager I would say like I think there's a lot of uh, there are different schools of thought of management. And when you work with remote teams, you have to understand that you're working with people that are on different parts of the planet than you are completely different cultures. Um, and they, they have, they have different lifestyles and they're on different time zones. So leaning into whatever part of you that's comfortable being extremely flexible, I think is helpful in these cases because you're, you have to sort of work around multiple people's schedules. Um, you're working with, and the, the cool thing though, is that you might actually be working with people that you would never get the chance to, if you had an office, right. Including personality types that might not be attracted to an office. Um, and, and that, I think that's amazing. And, but just being aware of that and being really sensitive to, um, your different team members' needs and their cultural environment, which may be different than yours, um, is is a part of being a great ma- a great remote manager. So, like in managing this like big team, I guess how big is the team now? How many We're, did you start with, and like what is it at now? Well, I we started with Martha and me, so that would be two, oh, and, and then the Chong came on right after. So, I mean, very small, and then um, we had two engineers full-time that we hired during the development period. And then we started growing out from there once we launched in 2019. Um, and I think we are uh, hovering between 30 and 35 right now. Wow. We are all over the world. So we have like the engineering teams in Vietnam. We've got uh, some really awesome team members in Europe for design and marketing. We've got people all over the US. We have people in um, Latin America. It's really exciting. <laughs> Uh, I got to say, because I'm in Toronto and I'm Canadian. Are there any Canadians on the team? <laughs> oh, oh, I, you know, not that I'm aware of at this moment, but some might be of Canadian nationality. Okay, I'll take that. <laughs> awesome. I'm sure there will be at some point. <laughs> Just putting it out there. So like, can you kind of like name the tech stack that you use to manage this team then? Because that's a lot of moving parts and a lot of people you're managing. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, I would say that I, you know, I manage um, their creative teams and it's quite small because um, in full transparency, I like like managing large teams isn't really my biggest strength or where I want to go. Like I want to be more hands-on and creative and sort of support all teams with creativity rather than growing a large one of my own. Um, but overall, like as being a co-founder in a way you're, you're responsible for the entire team. So, um, we use Slack first and foremost, that's our home. That's, you know, the, that's the office. That's where everybody hangs out. Um, pretty, pretty game-changing revolutionary piece of technology there, um, in terms of how it's allowed teams to work remotely. Um, and then the interesting thing is we have such a diversity of brains on our team that we, the, each team kind of prefers to organize themselves according to the tools that most work for them. So our engineering team, for example, uses ClickUp for product management and our product team as well. So we're, um, development and product management product teams are on ClickUp. Um, but then we also use Google documents for kind of like for uh, sharing ideas cross team. And then my designers love uh, the tool called Notion, which is a note-taking app. Yes. And it's got that clean, clear vibe. It's kind of flow-deskian, I guess. Um, (laughs) 
And that works really well for my designer's brains. And then um, we, you know, the finance team, they bury themselves in spreadsheets. So, and, and so we, we basically use the tools that, um, that are best for the job or for the people. It we mm-hmm. try not to be too dictatorial about what people have to use because we I love that. Yeah, we would rather have people um express themselves and organize themselves in the best way possible than forcing everyone to be. So, um as the saying goes, what you focus on grows. So, can you share with us some of the key metrics uh, your team focuses on? Absolutely. So, it's at its core, uh, trials and wins. So wins are an internal term for when someone goes from starting a free 30-day trial to a paid customer. And then trials are when people start a free trial on the Flowdesk platform. And we have all sorts of metrics. We have an incredible uh, VP of product who's built a really great muscle around measuring data, um, which is very tricky, by the way. It's Data is not as easy as it, it, it might mm-hmm. seem. Um, so we have tons of metrics and lots of dashboards, but it all comes down to those two. How many people are starting a trial and how many of those trials convert to a paid member? Ooh, like the simplicity in that. Yes. So, so is that something that's kind of like of the forefront for everybody on the team or kind of just more so like the marketing department or, um, yeah. Well, we found that it's really important to have an entire company-wide alignment on goals um, so that everybody can understand and measure their impact towards their goals. Mm-hmm. And truly everyone on the team, we are such a small team, Stella, everybody does have a huge impact. And it might not be super direct, right? Like the marketing team is kind of more responsible in some ways for opening up our top of funnel and making sure that those trials numbers go up. But the product team is responsible for making sure that the product is so solid that people don't want to leave it. Hence, you know, our, re- our retention metric, which feeds back into that total number of paid wins that we have. So every team has different KPIs and every team member contributes in different ways, but we're, but aligning them on a, a, the simplicity of those two metrics um, allows us to measure as a company, like, a, you know, across time and across teams very easily without having a lot of confusion. And um, it it helps everybody feel like they're a part of something bigger, right? That we're all doing this together and we're all in this together. Okay, I love that. It's awesome. So then in closing then, knowing what you know now, is there anything you would have done differently when you were first starting out? Ooh, you know, I have to say, I'm pretty happy with how things have turned out. Um, I think that that in order to have a really successful company, you have to have a great idea at, uh, um, at the right time, but also with a lot of luck. And I think we've been mm-hmm. very lucky. And also, I'm so grateful to our members for sort of guiding us in the right direction at every point. So would I have done something differently? Probably it would have been at the very beginning, um, not waiting so long to start developing our product with our target market, right? Like we had all these mock-ups and sketches. And like, I, I think I touched on this earlier, getting into debates about UX, UI um, without ever putting it in front of a customer. And we could have, I think, shortened our development time had we done that maybe six months sooner. But aside from that, I, I'm really happy with how things turned out. And I am just incredibly grateful to our members and everyone who's been a part of our story for helping us get here. I mean, it, it, I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm sitting here right, as the co-founder talking about 
uh, flowed us growth and, and it's, and it's awesome. And it, a lot of it did come down to Martha Chong and I, um, you know, working together for many years to bring a product to market that people wanted, but really it's like, it's like, there's no band if there's no audience. Right. And like our, our audience is the fuel that gives us our ideas that drives us forward. It's who we're building this for. Um, and without their guidance at every step of the way, I don't think we would have made as, as good of decisions as we had to permit me to sit here and say, I'm looking back and I'm not sure if there's anything that we really did that, that I would do very differently because it's always been guided by the people that we serve. Yeah. And ultimately it's led you to where you are now, which is in a great position. So yes, I I totally agree with you. (laughs) So excited (laughs) and so grateful. So, um, before we head to the lightning round, I just wanted to know what is like the most memorable moment in building Flowdesk looking back? Um, oh, so many. <laughs> um, I would say because I'm an anxious person, like the and but but that can also turn into excitement. The moments that have had the most adrenaline have been the ones that are kind of burned into my mind the most. And really it was that time period between August, 2019 and November, 2019, when we just came on the market and our members went, went to bat for us, like told their entire audiences about it. And we had all these crazy tech issues with the servers going down. And it was like, one moment we're we're flying high because all of a sudden we get this huge uh, storm of people coming in to try the platform. And then the next day we're like completely down just as high as we were in the other direction because our database was having trouble. Right. And, and it was just a period of incredible intensity um, where we, we were, we're struggling to keep up with the growth, but also um, completely immersed in this like amazing storm brought on by the people that we serve. It was, it was like, I, I will never forget that for the rest of my life. Yeah, definitely. Like one thing, because the way I discovered Flotus was actually through a Facebook group, a creatives, a creatives Facebook group. So it's like, I feel like a lot of the growth is because of that online community. Like once people saw what you have, they're just like, oh my God, I need to tell everybody. <laughs> like, yeah, it was, awesome. it was like that, like times a thousand, like firecrackers going off, like boom, boom, boom. It was like, we'd see it in one Facebook group and then we'd see it on YouTube yeah. and then we'd see it on Instagram and it was unforgettable. <laughs> <laughs> I really hope that everyone listening to this gets to experience that in their life. I really I do. And I, I don't think it's impossible. I think that, like I said, if you, if you, uh, if you're intentional about developing the product um, and do it alongside the people that you want to serve, then you will create something that is worth uh, them going off and, and making a lot of noise about. Mm-hmm. Definitely. I think we're going to use that as a soundbite for this episode. Oh, <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Uh-oh, lightning round. I'm scared. <laughs> lightning round. Are you ready, Rebecca? All right, let's do this. Okay. Cue the Jeopardy music. First question. <laughs> iPhone or Android? iPhone. Favorite book? Neuromancer. Ooh. Uh, texting or talking? Oh, texting. It's 2023. <laughs> if there was a movie produced about your life, who would you want to play you? Oh, this one kills me. I don't know. I'm so bad <laughs> with actors. <laughs> Someone with red hair. <laughs> who has red hair? Lindsay Lohan? Maybe. I, her name. I think she has right here. Yeah. Um, favorite travel destination? Ooh. Um, Paris. Favorite Disney movie? 
Beauty and the Beast. My favorite tech tool you use for your business. Okay, this is like really heterodox and it's going to sound weird, but Google Docs. I know that sounds crazy, but I like I want to say something beautiful and sexy like Notion and make no mistake. Notion, I love you. I love you, Notion. Don't don't feel like I'm straying from you. But I just find myself in Google Docs all the time. And even though I don't uh, like intellectually, like on a analytical like uh, level, think that Google Docs is like the most gorgeous, amazing experience ever. I find myself spending the most time in it. So I must love it. <laughs> yeah. I'm actually reading these questions off of a Google Doc right now. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> um, so what's next for Flowdesk and what are you most excited about for the future of the company? Okay. So we have a lot of exciting things in the pipeline in the next year. Uh, we are about to release Flowdesk Analytics, which is a feature that many, many of our members have been asking for for many years. So I'm super excited about that. Um, also, last year, we just launched Flowdesk Checkout, which is an e-commerce service that makes it super easy to sell anything digital online. So it allows you to build a, a digital sales funnel um, in just a few minutes that matches your emails and it integrates beautifully with email. So we have some features coming out for that as well. But if you haven't tried it, go ahead and check it out because it's pretty awesome. Uh, not a shameless plug there. <laughs> uh, <laughs> plug away. And we also, we have a lot of um, other features coming out um, that have been on our roadmap from quite some time. As I've said before, we're really building this for our members and we hear them and we want to continue releasing features that they've been asking for. So we have a lot of fun stuff on our roadmap, um, bringing out the features that people have asked for most. So you'll just have to stay tuned. Ooh, lots of good stuff. I'm going to check out the checkout feature because that's always a helpful thing, you know, make it easy for people to purchase your courses or digital products right through the email. So I love that new product feature. Yeah. And it integrates directly with email. So if they buy something in your checkout, then it goes right into your email list and you can set up workflows to follow up with them after. It's pretty cool. Where can people go to learn more about Flowdesk and connect with you online? We have several touch points. Um, of course, if you want to learn more about our product, you can go to flowdesk.com and sign up for a trial with the Ops Collective affiliate code. Uh, Nana, I'll let you share that at the end. Um, and then if you want more of a community or just to learn more or see where the buzz is or what people are saying, we also have a Flowdesk Insiders Facebook group where uh, the community comes together to support each other. And that's a place where you can go to get more of a, a personal um a personal experience with our members, see what they're up to, ask questions, and uh, share share your success with Flowdesk. Well, Rebecca, thank you so much for spending time with us today and helping our listeners get a better understanding of email marketing and your journey as a founder of Flowdesk. So thank, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. This was a wonderful conversation and I'm so excited for the future of the Ops Collective and I wish you all the best with it. And that's a wrap. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with friends or leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. For links and promos related to this episode, visit theopscollective.com forward slash podcast. See you next time.